You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Our second reading on this Trinity Sunday comes from the very end of Matthew's Gospel, the final verses of that story that has now spanned the arc of Jesus' birth through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so we pick up the story in the 28th chapter of Matthew, beginning with the 16th verse. Let us continue listening now for a word from God. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled The Honest Truth. Let us pray. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, send your spirit to draw near to each of our hearts gathered here in this space. Send your spirit, O God, that through its work, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered together here today would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Can I be honest with y'all? I can, can I? Of all the Sundays on the church calendar, Pentecost Sunday last week, Easter, Palm Sunday, All Saints, Christ the King, of all the Sundays each year on the church calendar, Trinity Sunday, Today is my absolute least favorite. (laughs) For starters, it's always kind of annoyed me. Because when you think about it, every Sunday is Trinity Sunday, isn't it? Every Lord's Day is the first day of the week, which marks the fact that on the first day God created at the beginning of time. And on the first day of the week, God raised Jesus from the dead. And on the first day of the week, God sent that spirit to dwell among the early church. And not only that, it's just always felt far-fetched that on this one Sunday every year, we are supposed to unpack this unfathomable mystery, which holds that our God is three persons, distinct and yet the same, creator, Savior, Spirit. I mean, how can we even do that in a single lifetime? 
much less one day each year. I really do not enjoy Trinity Sunday. In fact, truth be told, I tried to pawn it off on a guest preacher this year. (laughs) who will not be named, who bowed out a few weeks ago. Nonetheless, I pressed on, and in my preparation, I came across an article from a number of years ago in the Christian century, which was titled, The Trinity is Not an Appendix to the Christian Doctrine About God. If you go find this article, you will likely find, like I did, that it almost feels like the author of it is yelling through the page with a chip on his shoulder to anyone who holds the same dislike of Trinity Sunday as I do. He can't fathom why anyone wouldn't want to preach on Trinity Sunday. And he has a point. And his point is this, which is that the Trinity is not an appendix to our Christian doctrine about God. No, the Trinity is our Christian doctrine about God. It is the only way, the Trinity, to make sense of the biblical witness which holds that Jesus Christ, who came 2,000 years ago, lived in a particular place of the world for about 33 years, that somehow that figure was both Savior and Lord. That that person who lived in that time and place also somehow transcended all time and space. The Trinity is the only way we can even begin to make sense of that claim. And moreover, the Trinity is the only way we can make sense of this claim that the Bible gives us that the same Holy Spirit which hovered over that formless void in Genesis was the spirit that last week busted through the door at Pentecost, is the same spirit that, get this, today moves amongst each of us. The Trinity is not an appendix to our Christian doctrine about God. It is the Christian doctrine about God. And the most important thing, the heart of the matter, that the Trinity reveals to us about who God is, is that God, by God's very nature, is relational. That God cannot be fully God without community. I mean, that's really what the Trinity is at the end of the day. God is not just one person. God is three persons, creator, savior, spirit. God cannot be fully God without community. But even more than that, it is this claim about our Christian faith that God cannot fully accomplish God's purposes without our community. Write this text that the lectionary, which is an ecumenical tool that gathers together different scripture passages and assigns them to each Sunday of the year on a three-year cycle, It's interesting to me that the text that the lectionary gives us on Trinity Sunday is this one, a text that is often known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission from here at the end of Matthew's gospel could in and of itself constitute its own weeks-long sermon series, right? We could talk all day long about what does it mean that they doubted? What does it mean when Jesus claims all authority on heaven and on earth? What does it mean that Jesus baptizes in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? But at the end of the day, what the Great Commission really reveals to us, the claim that it lays is that the last act 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on this earth before he ascended into heaven where he sitteth to this day, that the last act of our Lord and Savior was to foster community. That his final act on earth was to look at that small community of disciples and to commission them, to send them out into the world with a single task, to go and gather up a larger community, a diverse community, a community made up of people of all nations, Matthew tells us. Right? That the last act Jesus commissions the disciples to is to go and gather community. And in that community to reveal to the world that promise, that foundational promise that that first group of disciples and us today base our very lives on, that singular seminal promise Jesus makes, his last words here, which are these, I am with you always. What the Great Commission reveals to us is that God, the very heart of God, is community-driven. That God cannot fully accomplish God's task without communities like ours, communities that believe to the core of their being that the work we are set to be about is a work that is commissioned with a promise. The promise being that God is with us always, always. It's an amazing thing to sit with that. This idea that God shows up, yes, in our individual lives, in our solitary moments, but God shows up in a particular way when we are together in community. There's a claim here that life is not meant to be lived alone. Even the most introverted among us, myself included, we need other people. Right? There's this claim here that God shows up at the dinner table. That God shows up in the unexpected conversation. That God shows up in those moments with groups of friends. Right? It's not where one or more is gathered that God is among us, is it? It's where two or more are gathered. That God promises to be in our midst. If Trinity Sunday reveals to us that the heart of our God is one that is relational, then the next step is to understand that God works through community, through church, through worship, in particular ways. There's once a group of pastors that gathered for some time of fellowship and learning. The first day that they showed up, they were a worn and wearied bunch. There was about eight or nine of them. One of them showed up and began to chair, uh, share rather about how his finance chair had just flown the roost, gone off, was issuing all sorts of orders without anyone's authority, very unpresbyterian of him, no. Another had been doing a capital campaign in his church and it had gone so well, which you would think is a good problem, but it had gone so well that it had grown sort of a life of its own and now it felt a lot like it was crushing him more than giving him hope and life for the future. There was another pastor there who had done three funerals for congregants in the past two weeks 
all of them for members under the age of 50. She was tired. They all were. They were tired and wearied bunch. To look at them was to look at a group of people who looked, frankly, a little bit beat up. But there they were. They spent the next few days together talking through issues and questions of ministry and faith and life. They ate meals together. They laughed together. They may have drank a glass of wine or two together. And at the end of those few days, they circled up, preparing to go back to their homes, go back to their congregations. And as a closing exercise with the prayer that they were going to have, the facilitator invited each of them to share one word about how they were feeling as they prepared to leave, one word about what maybe had changed in them over those few days together. One person's word was grateful. Another's was ready. One person said that she was renewed, another excited. But when they reached the last person, that pastor, she said, you know, I think my word is buoyed. I feel hopeful. I'm sad to admit it, but I haven't felt that for quite some time, she said. But here, after this time and community with you, Hopeful. That's how I'm feeling. Friends, the source of God's hope for each of us and the source of our hope in God is found most readily in each other. It's found in the person to our right and to our left and the person behind us and the person in front of us. There's something about this day that teaches us that Christ-centered communities, Christ-centered relationships, communities and relationships, in other words, that wear those fruits of the Spirit, that practice peace and forbearance with one another, that show humility and kindness and compassion, that even demonstrate patience and forgiveness. Communities and relationships that share the table every once in a while with one another. Communities and relationships where love is nurtured, where we can see the image of God in our neighbor. Though our neighbor may look very different than us. And Christ-centered communities and relationships are weary and worn down and worried lives experience something, something akin to the living presence of God. And in those moments when we find ourselves in relationship with others around us, we sometimes find that Jesus' final words, that final promise, I am with you always. Well, it feels like it's fulfilled all over again. You know, can I be honest with y'all? I think I heard it again. <laughs> Trinity Sunday, it's not my favorite. 
But when I look out on this community, when I look into all of your faces, you know what it does for me? It buoys me a little. It makes me feel hopeful. And I begin to wonder to myself, what would it look like for us to go out into this community and into the world beyond these walls and be in relationship with our neighbors? It makes me wonder how our lives might buoy others, how our lives might be the very light and hope, the very honest truth for those who we encounter along the path. I wonder. I wonder. Let us pray. Lord of majesty and might, you are indeed a God who at heart desires community, desires for all of your children to be in relationship with one another, to bear out your love, your peace, your forbearance, your forgiveness for those who we are privileged to live alongside. And so, God, on this Trinity Sunday, I pray that you, you would help us to look a little differently at the faces of those who we are near, that in their face and their eyes we might glimpse you, and in glimpsing your face and your heart, our own hearts might be buoyed with hope, and that with that hope, we might bring hope to your world. We pray this all in the name of your name, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.